So this morning, I want to ask you a couple of questions to start off with. What do you do to rest? At the end of the day, you've been working hard, what do you do to get some energy back, to escape? Out of introverts and extroverts, I'm one of the better ones. I'm an introvert. (laughs) I found COVID lockdowns to actually be a delightful relief and a bit of a silver lining. And when they're not happening, I self-isolate by myself. I go fishing or read a book. But what do you do? We all have different things. A friend of, uh, from college, he rests by surrounding himself with people and activities. That's weird. <laughs> but maybe you go on a Netflix binge series or a long soak in a hot uh, bath, a night out with mates or the ladies a shopping spree, a holiday away from home, or just sleeping, having a sleep in. We will take these rests to be able to escape, to reinvigorate. But not all the things that we feel responsible for, not all the things that weariness can always be escaped so easily, can they? I'm speaking about the concerns that are a few levels up from maybe making sandwiches for our kids uh, for their lunches or washing the car, things that tire the body, but things that can sit, uh, constantly press down on our souls instead. Even when you try and escape them, they follow you. They follow you into your sleep so that it is disturbed. Our tempers become shortened, emotions on high. Maybe the tears flow and relationships are put on edge. And at times, even our health can become affected by them. I wonder if you know some of these concerns and these worries and these wearisome things that I'm speaking about. How many mums and dads feel the weight of being parents? The weight of wanting their kids to make good decisions, to become good quality people. Yet try as we might, there's no controlling them. As much wisdom as we offer them, they make the same mistakes we did. Parents are concerned not only for their kids in the here and the now, but for the world that they'll be entering into. The suffering that they may encounter in the future, yet we cannot control any of it. How many Christians struggle with simply being a Christian and the heavy weight that that can often bring? I once had a young man speak to me about how hard it was for him to be a Christian He so badly wanted to please the Lord, but he seemed to only betray himself at every corner. And Paul speaks of these things in Romans 7. I don't do the things that I want to do, but only the very things I hate. The frustration and the weight that comes with that. Being a Christian can be frustrating and wearisome at times. High school students and uni students, doesn't it weigh on you that all of your future lays before you and often is pushed that the decisions you make now will affect everything? And those same pressures, same wearisome questions hang on us until even our old age. But we look back on it and say, was it worth it? Did I make the right decisions? Have I done enough in this life? And of course, what about the fears that we've had during a pandemic? Am I making the right choices? 
Are my loved ones making them? Are we going to be okay? We have concerns over success, performance in life, approval, value and acceptance. Concern not even limited to the present and the here and the now, but concern about our future and everything that holds, everything that's happened in the past as well. We're not just concerned for ourselves, but concerned for those that are near us, our loved ones, and also the entire globe. These are the concerns that we heard from David in his Psalm 131 that he calls too great, too marvellous. These are big and heavy concerns. Do some of these concerns that I've mentioned apply to you? Are they familiar to you? Or do you have similar but your own? Over time and with many of these burdens on our shoulders, this becomes something that is backbreaking. Everything you try to do to solve them, to fix them, to escape them, to leave them behind even at times fails. And even the concern of the survivability of life becomes another burden that you bear. Well, this morning's passage is for the weary and the heavy laden that you might have rest. Seemingly contradictory to the sweet invite of rest, however, is that our passage in Matthew 11 begins on a sour note. Jesus instead is passing a word of judgment, not to a single man or to a group of Pharisees, but to three cities, cities filled with people, that he says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, woe to you, Capernaum. These cities have done something that has earned them trouble. Jesus even goes as far as to compare their judgment on the day of the Lord to the ancient cities of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, cities known for being in opposition to the Lord and his people and more for their destruction at the hand of the Lord. What would, what in the world have these people done to earn such words from Jesus? Verse 20 says that they have seen mighty works performed by Jesus and they have not repented. Now we don't know exactly what these mighty works were. It may have been miracles, healings, the removal of demons. It may have simply been the mighty teachings of Jesus or all of the above. But what we do know is that whatever took place in these cities was mighty enough that it deserved a response of repentance in the hearts of the people. Mighty enough that they would hear and respond to the gospel message of Jesus. To see the futility of the way that they were living, their works, and turn from them. And all the while, called Jesus Lord, yet they didn't bat an eyelid. The way they lived their lives didn't change. They saw no error in relying on their works. They didn't acknowledge Jesus' lordship. They simply remained the same, pressing on as they were, content with life, content with how they were handling things. In Luke 5, we encounter Peter. I'm sure we're all familiar with this story. When after fishing all night and catching nothing, Jesus tells him to go out again, but this time just try on the other side of the boat. And when he did, 
They caught so many fish that they had to call in more boats and even then they were so heavily laden that they almost didn't make it back to shore. And what was Peter's reaction to this mighty work? He fell on his knees before Jesus saying, Lord, I'm not worthy, I'm a sinful man. This is the desired reaction to a mighty work of Jesus. The proper reaction, godly fear, the recognition of his lordship and the repentance of his own unworthiness. Yet these three cities of people who have seen many mighty works between them have kept their knees locked and in an upright position before Christ in the flesh. How can this be? How can you have some people who see mighty works and fall to their knees in repentance and others who don't? Why do some turn from the invitation of Christ and others embrace it? It's not a small question, is it? We, don't we wonder this very question almost all the time? How many people in our own lives are affected uh, by this same question. My parents exposed me and my younger brother and my younger sister to Christ. They taught us the Bible. Every night we would listen to Dad reading Old Testament stories. Or we'd listen to the parables from the New Testament. We attended church every Sunday, school camps, school holidays, all filled with memory verse activities. We were being well watered in the gospel right from birth. Yet I believed, my brother believed, and my sister does not. Though we still pray that that would change. Or how many of us here know the same thing? Whether it be a story that involves our siblings, our kids, or our friends. We have sat with them, we have received the same gospel message that they have, that same life-giving, hope-filled message. Yet for one, like Peter, like myself, like you, the seed takes root and life comes about. But for the other, like my sister or like these cities, woe to you. Why? Why does this happen? Well, there are two reasons from our passage One reason that sits inside the other, almost like a Russian doll. The first is this, that those who reject it are too wise and too clever for the gospel. The hope of the gospel is for babies. That almost sounds offensive, doesn't it? The hope of the gospel is for babies. But these are the exact words of Jesus describing his father's actions. You hide these things from the wise and clever and have revealed them to babes. The hope of the gospel is hidden from people that consider themselves too wise and too clever to need it. There is something that babies have that wise and clever people do not, that these cities did not. Desperation, need, dependence. But a baby? What can a baby really do? A baby simply rides on the whims of whatever their parents do. They cry out in need, need of cleaning, need of food, of comfort and rest. They have no power, no control in life, 
no hope other than what their parents offer to survive. They are weak, they are pathetic, and by human standards, they are miserable, dependent people. The gospel is for those that are like babies at heart. Those who know that they have no power in themselves. They cannot survive this life as independence. They know they have no strength. They know their wisdom has failed them and is broken. And they don't understand how the world works. So they cannot live according to it. Their cleverness is too limited, extremely limited. There's no outthinking the things that weigh upon them, their heavy burdens. There is no way out of this brokenness and so they simply are weary and heavy laden. These are the people that our text talks about later on. Those who cannot bear the weight of responsibility that seems to come from this world. They cannot bear it any longer. They are those that from our psalm this morning concern themselves with matters that are too great and too marvellous for themselves and in their fragility the heavy weights break them. Those who are like babes, though, these people in this sorry state, are the ones who are favoured by the Father. Not the ones that find life easy, who bear up under the pressure and simply fight on. It's the babes, the ones who are crushed by concern, that cry out for help, that the Lord takes delight in. It is the babes that fall on their knees in repentance in response to mighty works, as we will discover in the following verses. It's the babes that find rest in the Father's arms. The wise and the clever, though, they do not desire rest in the Father. For them, these weighty concerns that rest upon them are simply just a work in progress. Heavy, but we can do them. People with human wisdom boast in their knowledge. They know the foundational mechanics and the turnings of the world and they can live by them, make the most of life, live in harmony with those turnings, able to, to achieve miraculous things in their minds. Clever people can plan and scheme and outthink with enough time and effort and tools and the right program laid Uh, that they will be able to solve any problem laid at their feet, any of these things that would crush the rest of us. It may be that if they read enough, program enough, self-discipline enough, work enough, eat the right food, talk to the right people, have enough money, schedule enough, that everything will achieve a perfect balance and one day they will unlock and solve these wearisome problems. How to raise children perfectly. How to secure a guaranteed future. How to solve the world and all of its woes. They can do it with enough time. With enough of their cleverness and their wisdom. They trust in themselves the solution. The gospel, though, is for the babes, not for the wise or the clever. That is the smaller of the two the two reasons that some respond to the mighty works and others do not. The larger 
of the reasons for this dynamic. And believe it or not, far more difficult reason is this, simply because God said so. How much we hate that response. It's like when a kid asks their mum or dad, why? Why do we need to take baths? Why do we need to eat vegetables? Why do I need to do what you say? And mum and dad's response is, just because I said so. Um, it's classic, though I hear good parents don't ever use that experience, that, uh, that line. Good parents have infinite patience to explain to four-year-olds the complex turnings of the world. I don't believe that this is a cop-out answer in this instance. Consider the words of Jesus in verse 27 to 28. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes because it seemed good to you. Why was the message of Jesus not effective for the wise and clever people and only for those who were broken and weary? Why this dynamic? Because the Lord of heaven and earth, according to his good pleasure, wanted it that way. I remember R.C. Sproul saying in one of his sermons that the sovereignty of God is one of the first things that a new Christian will happily proclaim. But it is one of the most difficult things for them to ever get into the bloodstream of their life. To truly believe in a sovereign Lord who makes the decisions. It is the Lord who is actually the possessor of true wisdom and cleverness. While humanity plays at these things like kids playing pretend doctors, he does it in truth. There are none more clever than he. His plans span time itself. They include the creation and the renewal of the world, the manipulation of celestial powers. They tame chaos. He is so clever, he lets man have free will and at the same time predestines them. He even uses the evil actions of men and suffering to achieve good. He is sovereign. Everything is his to command. And his plans are so big that we cannot even comprehend them. Remember Job, a righteous man who suffered immensely. He and his friends put their clever heads to the problem of why he had suffered. Job demanded a response from God. And what was God's response to him at the end of Job from 38 to the end of the book? God responds, here here is my response, Job. Where were you where I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? And God just keeps responding to Job this way. He doesn't give him his answer, but he lets Job know and really puts him back in his place, but at the same time puts him in his place. That God is sovereign Lord. Job's suffering always had purpose though we know it from the beginning of the book to the lord uh, the lord allowed job to suffer just to uh, to be able to prove the devil wrong job's suffering fit into god's plans in ways that job never knew 
and never would. But he was to be at peace with that. But so great are God's plans, so far beyond us. This is the one, this God, that sets the boundaries of revelation, who receives it and who does not. And he chooses those who are like babes. They are the ones he favours, that he desires. Not the people that are strong and wise and have it together, but the needy. They are the ones the Father wants. And the needy are the ones who need this Father, this sovereign God. Even when they don't know it, when they're crying out from underneath their heavy load for help, they cry out for one who is strong enough to be able to do it. That's not you and it's not I. It's not even the wisest or the cleverest of us, but the Lord of heaven and earth, who is the only one capable of doing it. The weary and the heavy laden need to know the Father. But no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom the Son wills. Conversely, no one knows the Son except for the Father. There is a relationship that is being made clear here between Jesus and his Father. The only one that has access to this desperately needed Father is his Son, Jesus. He uses two titles, Jesus, in his speaking to the the Lord. Lord of heaven and earth, which we've looked at, and Father, my Father. He uses it in a personal way that is limited to himself. My Father. There is an intimate and special relationship that's being made known to us. Where it says that they know each other, it's so much more than acquaintance or a good friend or even how we know and understand the relationship between Father and Son, which is so often damaged and torn or broken. No, they know each other in that they share all things trust and love one another without boundary, always being in agreement with each other intimately. And one example of this is at the start of our passage where we see Jesus thanking the Father for the way that he rules according to his goodwill. The Son loves the will of the Father. And the second example we are given is this. And it's an astounding example of the relationship because it's the words, all things have been handed to me, handed over to the Son by the Father. Now, if I uttered this phrase, it would mean that I have been given by my Father a house in Lobethal, two sheds filled with useless machinery, ten bikes in different stages of repair, three pianolas, Uh, seven fish tanks, two dogs, a cat, some birds in the care of my mother. What does it mean for the Lord of heaven and earth to hand all things to the Son? It means that the Son shares in the full measure of that sovereign Father. What does this mean for the heavy laden? That when that same Son who possesses his father's heart for the babes of the world, 
who is described as being gentle and lowly of heart, invites you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He means it. And he has the power to be able to do it. It's not an empty promise of help. And the rest that he offers will be more than simply babysitting our concerns for the weekend, only to give them back. More than this, more than his invitation, it's not simply the removal of our concerns that are too great and too marvellous, but to take from you the yoke of independence, of weakness, of loneliness, doing, doing it by yourself and instead replacing it with his own yoke, the yoke of his sonship to the Father, that you may share in the wonderful relationship that the Son and the Father have. And in this place, your great and marvellous concerns, those things that bear us down, your kids, the worry for your kids as parents, of your future, for us that are, or you that are young, (laughs) for our past, if we are old, for our righteousness as Christians, They are placed in the hands of that Lord of heaven and earth who is of good will and gentle and lowly of heart because we have inherited the sonship of Jesus and access to the Father. It is then and only then that we can rest. We can really rest knowing that these concerns are not simply cast aside but care for and achieved in ways that are unfathomable by his cleverness, by his wisdom. We cannot even understand how he would do them, but he can, and he does them better than we ever would. His gentle and lowly heart means that there is none who are too broken, none too needy, too weighed down, to receive and respond to his invitation. It was not sent to you by accident, this invitation from Christ. You don't need to have it all together, to have your face on and your shirt tucked in to be able to attend to his invitation. You do not need to be afraid of being hurt or further burdened by his invitation. For he is gentle and lowly at heart. Reading again from David's psalm, if we listen to it slowly. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great or too marvellous for me but I have calmed and quietened my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is with me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time on and forevermore. How do we get this rest? What do I have to do? What are the ten steps to relaxation. What have we heard even this morning? 
Isn't it all the work of the Father? The gift of the Son, his invitation. What finger needs to be raised by us? What cleverness? What wisdom? None. There is only one instruction for us this morning. Come to me. Trust in Jesus. Do what the three cities did not. And that is when you see him, repent. Repent of the wisdom that we have tried to use in the past. Repent of our cleverness. And turn away from our own efforts to save ourselves and to lift the burdens that press down upon us. And come to Christ. This is not just a message for those that have never known Jesus. But for all of us here, Christ is our dwelling place, our refuge, our rest. Not just for Sundays or when life is difficult, but forever. We are to live there. The trouble is, so often we forget and we put down the yoke of sonship, returning again to that heavy, old, laden yoke, laden new with old concerns and even new ones. But this is not just a once-off invitation, but a constant song that is sung. Come to me, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. And as we grow, not in human wisdom, but instead in God's, we will more quickly respond and remain in that wonderful place of rest, known as being a child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord of heaven and earth, were it not for your might, were it not for your cleverness, for your wisdom, Lord, for your power, for your holiness, as we even sang this morning, we would have no hope. You would not be able to solve the weary things that press upon us. But in you, Lord, we can turn, for you are mighty to save. You are, Lord, wise and clever in ways that we don't understand. You are so much bigger than we, Lord, will ever comprehend. And I pray that as uh, we this morning have heard your word and as we press about the days ahead, Father, that you would continue through your word, through the conversations we have, through revelation, Lord, to show us how big you are. And in our awe and wonder of you, we will be able to turn away knowing and trusting that you are capable You are able to save us. We give thanks that you have given us access to you through your son. Lord, that he was a guarantee that you would give us rest through the action on the cross. 
We pray, Lord, for our family, for our friends, for our siblings, perhaps even for our spouses, Lord, that you would continue to work on those that have turned from you, that trust on their own strengths. Lord, to hear this sweet invitation that you've given us in your word of rest, of being cared for like a weaned child in its mother's arms. Lord, and for that to seem so desirable, for you to seem so desirable to them that they would turn away and repent. Lord, for us that have forgotten, that are wearing many weary things that maybe we're not even aware of. Lord, the things that are keeping us up and filling our minds. Father, may we repent of them as well. Repent of us trying to handle these things ourselves and instead be like David, not concerned with the things too great and too marvellous for ourselves. And trust in you. Thank you for your heart, for those who are weak, for the babies, for the weary and the heavy laden. We rejoice, Lord, in your desire for us. And we pray that you would continue to build our confidence in you, that we would never be ashamed to be weak in your eyes because that that is what you find desirable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.